All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we, we got into, in verse 1 through 3, really, we covered. And, and, and the concept of what we covered in Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. It's this amazing chapter in the Bible that's all about faith. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call that the love chapter. Here we have the faith chapter. And in the first three verses, God tells us what faith is. And that's what we talked about last week. Today we're going to see what faith does in our lives and how it applies to our lives. Now last week we spent some kind of painstaking um, time telling you that we don't have faith in faith. And I tried to unpack what the difference is between having faith in substance, faith in that's real, faith in a God that lives versus this idea that we have faith in faith or that we have, we just have blind faith. Remember we said that we're going to draw a circle around the word blind faith and draw a line through it. We as followers, we don't subscribe to blind faith. When you read the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6 and everywhere in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, this is not the stuff as you go through the Bible that, that legends are made of. You know, it's not the, the, the entry to Star Wars. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away was a man named Abraham. It's not the way the Bible reads. That he came from a specific city, the Ur of Chaldees. That King Uzziah saw the Lord in the year that, that, that he saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. And over and over and over again, specific cities and places and people and coins and, and civilizations and every one of them historically, archaeology, archaeologically are proven and found. They're all there. We have everything. The evidence of the Bible is so overwhelming. The literary evidence of the Bible. The fact that we have 5,500 original copies of the New Testament written in the first century. No other literature on planet Earth has anything near that. That, that we don't have any problem um, believing in its validity. And it may have, at the very most, the next closest in, in history and antiquities is like 375 original manuscripts. And the Bible has 5,500. That's just in the Greek. If you add the Latin and the Aramaic, the number goes up to about 20,000 original manuscripts. So, you know, sometimes people tell me, well, I don't like that version of the Bible. I said, well, you got 5,000 original. Just go read the Greek and write your own translation if you don't like it. It's not, a, it's not the problem is not the translation. And it's not just faith in faith. I made a comment last week and I said that, you know, there's teaching out there that, that says that if you have enough faith that God will do certain things on your behalf. You know, you turn it on some of these TV channels and then they say, you know, you don't have a Cadillac, it's because you don't have enough faith. And if you don't have a healing, it's because you don't have enough faith. And if you just had enough faith, then you don't have a Cadillac like I have. And if you don't have enough faith, then you can just give me your keys and I'll have two Cadillacs. And, you know, and, these, these, and I was speaking specifically against this style of, of thinking. And I said that if you really unpack it, it, it can become that type of, of teaching can become sorcery. It can become idolatry and witchcraft. And, and I was afraid that maybe some misunderstood what I was saying. Listen, what, 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 what I'm not saying... The Bible is full that we are to be a people of faith. Listen, I 100% believe in healing. I believe that God heals people today. I've seen it. I've been involved in several. been walking with the Lord and a pastor for about 25 years, and I've probably had three bona fide, legitimate times where I've been involved to get to pray for somebody and see him healed. One of them was a guy who was completely alcohol addicted. 
And he came up to church on a Wednesday night in complete desperation. And he said, I want to be set free. Will you pray for me? And, and, and God allowed me to, with my wife up front when we were standing to pray, and we prayed. And, and, I, and I seen him. His name's Danny Whitley. I seen, him a, I seen him a month ago when I was in California. And he said, you know, and, and we, him and I have a relationship. And he said that, that, that day, I've never touched another drink of alcohol. God, God did a miracle, and he set me free that day. He supernaturally took that away. And that was a healing that I got to be a part of. So I, I never, I'm not saying that, that I don't believe that God can and will heal you. I believe that God is in the business of healing. But what I was speaking against and what I do want to warn us as a church against is a false doctrine that says that that, that healing comes in your life based on enough faith. It has nothing to do with your faith. Now, now listen, that, 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 that can kind of be contrary, right? Because the Bible says that many times Jesus said that your faith made you well. Their faith made them well. That God wants us to have faith. That you're, you're called to, to have faith and not doubt and believe that God can and will heal. That God can and will do things in your life. But at the same time, the greatest legend of faith in human history is a, is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. It's half of the Bible. And the Apostle Paul was, was it. I mean, if there was somebody who had attained in Christianity and in walking with Jesus on this side of the cross, it was a guy by the name of Paul. Nobody in history got closer to, to figuring it out than this guy. The greatest mind that God ever created in the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had an infirmity in his eyes. And he prayed and he said, God, will you heal my eyes? God said, no. And he prayed a second time and he said, God, will you heal me? And he prayed a prayer of faith that God would heal his eyes. And guess what happened the second time Paul prayed? Nothing. So Paul prayed a third time. And he said, Lord, will you, will you heal me? And God, and, 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 and God answered Paul. And what did he tell him? My grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul lived with that infirmity till the day he died. So did Paul not receive a healing because he lacked faith? Oh, man, if Paul couldn't do it, then there's no hope. And yet again, listen, we are called to be a people of faith. We're called to believe. We're called to pray without doubting and wavering and be a people of faith. But, but here's the bottom line, and here's just the truth. God heals some on this side of eternity and others he, he, he does not. The Bible says in Isaiah, listen, by his stripes we are healed. So, so that's a proclamation, that's a claim, that's a promise from the, the word of God that you will be healed. So, so did God break that promise to the Apostle Paul when he died with his infirmity? My wife's mother, who she was very, very close to and they were best friends and did life together in ministry and did women's ministry together and did life together. And, and, and my wife and her mom were the best of best of best of best of friends. And we, wa we watched her die a painful death of pancreatic cancer. She walked with the Lord as a pastor's wife and is just an amazing servant of God for 31 years before she went home to be with the Lord. We had the church in China praying for Cindy. And we had connections with missionaries and literally physically were connected with the underground church in China of over a million people. And they assured us that, that, that we had made the, the prayer chain for the underground church in China, over a million people praying for her to be healed. And God took her home. People said to us after that, we had started a campaign. The campaign in our church was believe and we were believing God was going to heal her her home some folks came and they said how's your believe now oh that is never 
not rocked in the, in the least because by his stripes she was healed. Because every one of us will receive that healing in, uh, in the stripes of Jesus, whether it's on this side of the cross or on the other side of the cross. Today, the day that she died, what happened to her? She was with Jesus. How was her cancer? It was healed. She was given a body that she's going to live in for all of eternity that's never again going to get sick, that's never going to have fears and tears and years. And so when Isaiah says that by his stripes you are healed, you are healed. Sometimes the healing is when Jesus brings you home. Sometimes that some people receive that healing upon meeting Jesus. You think she was sad? We were sad. You know, the day that Cindy died was, was miraculous. She had been in a coma for about 48 hours. She was anorexic, for lack of a better term. She had lost so much weight at that point. She had been incoherent for about two days, and we knew it was getting close. And Pastor Gerald called all the family and said, you know, we, we need to stay close. It's going to happen soon. And, and, and we all happened to be, all of her direct kids and, and, and a couple of us in-laws, just direct family right in the room around her bed at the moment that she passed away. And we were praying for her, and we, we saw her see Jesus. You know, they say that, that on a corpse in the, in the morgue that, the, that they can't put a smile on a corpse's face for an open casket. They just, it's impossible. You can't do it on a corpse. And, and yet she was as close to a corpse as it could be. And the moment she died, she sat up a little bit. She got a smile on her face. She didn't open her eyes. And one tear began to run down her face because she had kids and grandkids. And then she just had this smile. And she laid down and went home to be with We saw her see Jesus. We saw her receive the healing, that, that healing. So yes, we, we believe in that healing. We believe in faith. And so again, I'm not preaching. I'm kind of, I am preaching last week's sermon. That's why I haven't got into the scripture yet. But, but I wanted to be super clear what I believed. I wanted to be super clear what we as people believe in faith. And, and, and again, what I spoke of last week, what I spoke pretty serious about, again, was just the faith in faith. Because, because what some people might want to tell you is that you don't receive something from God. It's because you lack faith. Listen, I reject that. I reject that for you and on your behalf. That's not the truth. Can we be guilty of lacking faith? Sure. Sure. You know, the guy said, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I have faith, but I know I'm not quite there. Will you help my unbelief? And, and so, yes, we can be guilty of lacking faith, but that's not the reason that God has not showed up in your life. Ask him to help you in that. But, but, but it's for his sovereignty and for his, his, his will that these things happen. Amen? So that was kind of a recap on last week and on what faith is and what faith isn't. Now we get to see what faith does. So as you guys know, if you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, and for those of you um, good Christians in here that actually read ahead like you're supposed to after Sundays, um, you know that, that Hebrews chapter 11 now is a whole bunch of testimonies, another 39 chap verses of God giving us examples starting, he didn't pick Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve were kind of an anomaly. You know, some people ask, did Adam have a belly button? Probably not. He didn't have a mom. He was created from dust. How old was he? Was he created as a baby? Did God raise a little baby in the Garden of Eden to adulthood? He made him as a man. You know, that's the other thing really kind of throws some, some tricks in evolution, right? Because God created the Garden of Eden, but he created it with age. So how do you age something that's, that's 10 seconds old but it's full of trees and life and stuff that God created with age. 
So God creates Adam and Eve. He doesn't really start there, but he goes to their first offspring, and he's going to start this journey through the Old Testament, giving us examples how faith works that we're going to glean from, that we're going to put in our bag, and we're going to say, wow, look at how they had faith, that they trusted God. Look where God came through, and then and then we're going to apply that to our lives. That is going to come through in your situation, that God is going to come through in your life, that God is going to meet your need as he did that. I really strongly believe, and as you guys know, um, pretty much as a standard, we, we, we teach the New Testament on Sunday mornings, the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, and one of the things as I've gone through the Old Testament this, this here on this pulpit, that, that God has just spoke so clear that I really believe one of the main themes of the entire Old Testament. That's a pretty big statement. That, that the entire Old Testament is saying one main thing. It's saying you can trust God. That's what it's about. It's story after story after testimony after after testimony of God using people's lives to teach you, to tell you, to encourage you that, that you can trust him. Look, you, Abraham trusted me and Enoch and, and Cain and Abel and on and on and on and on. And every time I showed up in their lives, every time, and I'm going to show up in your life the same way. So we'll get to walk through this, this history of faith. Now, it says that... Um, First, we're going to see Abel and Cain, and Abel's sacrifice was accepted. So we're going to, and then we get we get down and we see, and then we're going to see Noah, the first three. Um, Abel had faith through worship. Enoch had faith through walk. He walked it out, and Noah, see faith, worship, walk, and work um, through obedience by faith. Verse four. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he his right. That's where these things come in handy. I always use the excuse when I can't read that I can't see, and then sometimes I put my glasses on and I still can't read. Let's try that again. Hey, let's start at verse number four. Hey, why don't you guys stand with me for just for the fun of it? Have your Bibles. We're going to read. I'm going to read a few verses we're going to cover today. Beginning in verse number four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was, was not found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he con condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, Jacob, and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he, he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And we'll stop after Abraham. You may be seated. So Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now what Cain did was Cain offered a sacrifice of grain offering, and Abel offered a blood sacrifice. 
Now, now God does require a blood sacrifice, but he also in the Old Testament has certain times where he allows in certain parts of the Mosaic law where grain offerings are accepted. And I do believe that Abel's offering was was better than Cain's and that it was a blood sacrifice. But I, I don't believe that's the entire catalyst of why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. But really what we see, and in 1 John, if you're interested, and also in Jude, there's mention of Cain and Abel's story that you can get some background on. And the Bible tells us as you go through what the real issue and why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. You know, one of the things that um, Cain is very guilty of, and it's one of the things I think as a pastor that I deal with um, very often, is that Cain came to God on his own circumstances. Cain came to God and he said, you know, God, I know you, you, you wanted this and desire this, but man, killing an animal is messy and it's bloody and it's dirty. And man, I made you some salad and I, I got some fruit and vegetables. You'd probably like this much better. It's better for you anyways. And so Cain, who knows the way that God has prescribed for him to come, decides to come on his own terms. And the thing that I deal with as a pastor, and I, and I try to be sensitive and loving and encouraging and not tell you to shut up, you're stupid. But um, I try to, in a loving, nice, kind way, encourage and point in a direction that the problem is not on God's part, it's on your part. Because people will make comments that I've prayed and I've talked to God and nothing's happening. And I've offered sacrifices and gifts, and, and, and I don't see God showing up in this situation. And, and not always, but sometimes the issue is the Cain issue that we see here in the Bible. That, that we're coming, or that people are coming to God based on their own standards, their own way, and their own rules and regulations. We put time frames on God. We put expectations on God. We put parameters on the way that we believe God should move and work in, the, in our situation. And God's not showing up, not because God is, is slack concerning his promises, but because we haven't offered a sacrifice to God on his terms, on a way that's acceptable. And so Cain offers this sacrifice, and God refuses it. But Abel's, he, he, he offers it. Now listen, I want to tell you, 100% of the time, the issue is in not in what we bring as a sacrifice or an offering to the Lord, it's the heart behind it. Amen? It's always the heart. 100% of the time, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of surrendering our heart, surrendering our gift in an act of worship and faith. Ultimately, it tells us here in Hebrews that, that Abel's gift was accepted because he offered it in faith. And ultimately, it's a matter of faith. What's fascinating about, about Cain and Abel, that these two guys who come from Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden... Now, Adam and Eve had many children, many sons and daughters. And I don't know if Cain and Abel were necessarily the two oldest or just somewhere in there, but Cain and Abel are the ones that are mentioned, the ones that, that eventually the, the, the line of Messiah is going to come through. But, but in that, these two first sons of Adam and Eve, they understand something about relationship with God, and they bring an offering, something that starts in the Garden of Eden, right outside the Garden of Eden. Is this sacrificial, this offering that they bring to the Lord. Now we know that as Abel sacrifices and brings a blood offering, that that is significant because it represents Jesus and the Lamb of God that would come one day. But God accepts Cain's and, I'm sorry, accepts Abel's and rejects Cain's. And you guys know how the story finishes, right? Eventually the, the, the situation bothered Cain, so we know Cain had bigger issues. 
that probably go back to why God didn't accept his offering in the first place because it was a matter of the heart. And him and his brother are out in the field one day and he's mad that God accepted Abel's offering and he killed his brother. And God shows up to him and he says, Cain, where's Abel? Famous response. What does he say? I'm not my brother's keeper, but his blood is crying out to me from the rocks, from the dirt. You know, that that story always reminds me of that, that. You guys remember that runner who would carry his quadriplegic brother everywhere he went? And he would run marathons and, and he'd just do life. And everywhere he went, he had his brother on his back and his quadriplegic. And every time they'd ask him, they'd say, man, that, that's, you just ran a marathon with somebody on your back. That's got to be hard. Isn't he heavy? And he'd say, he's not heavy. He's my brother. <laughs> and so, um, am I not my brother's keeper? So, um, and then it says, as we go on past Cain and Abel, so worship. So, so God, he offered by faith the worship. It's where um, faith is walked out. Now, by faith, he taken away so that he did not death in verse 5. And was not found because God had taken him. Before he was taken. The word taken is used, in three, used three times in verse 5. Taken, taken, taken. Had his testimony that he pleased God. Now, Enoch, as you guys know, is a hero of the faith. Not just because he's mentioned here in, in the Faith Hall of Fame. But Enoch is a guy who figured out what you and I want to figure out. The word walked. It says he walked with God. What does that mean? You know, you could look up the term walk in the Bible and, you know, or in the Bible. You could look up the term walk in a dictionary. And one of the definitions you might get is when a pitcher throws the fourth ball, he's issued a walk to the batter. That's not the kind of walk we're interested in. When you put one foot in front of the other and move at a leisure pace, that's walking. That's not necessarily. But there's another walk that's a biblical walk. It's a spiritual walk. And we understand what it means to walk with the Lord. It's relational. Maybe the way that a man and a wife walk together through life, relationally, spiritually. That he walked with God and, and, and that it says that he pleased the Lord. Enoch, 365 years old, one year for every day of the year, I guess. 365 years old when God took him home. Enoch had a son in his, in his, in his, uh, when he was 60 years old by the name of Methuselah. Now, why is Methuselah interesting? Methuselah becomes the oldest man that, that ever is recorded in human history. Crazy Bible trivia, anybody? How old was he when he died? I heard a couple competing answers. I think the answer, if I looked it up right now that I got different, 969 one of you guys is going to Google that while I'm talking to tell me I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure it's 969 years old that, that Methuselah lived to be. Now, when Methuselah was born, what's interesting is that the name that God gave him through Enoch, his name means when he dies, it will come or, or death will come. And in the year that Methuselah died, guess what happened? Genesis chapter 6 and the flood of Noah, 5 and 6. And so Methuselah, and the other thing that we have to understand, which I wasn't going to get to today, but if you, if you took a timeline, now Adam lived to be, I forget how old Adam, 800 something, 900. Adam, Adam lived to be over 800 years as well. So, but if you take that 800 years and then you start putting the Bible characters in line, that these guys were contemporary, like Lot and, I mean, I'm sorry, um, Job and 
Enoch and I forget what I got. I think I wrote it down. Um, Adam would have been 630 years old when Enoch was born. Been about 110 when um, Adam died. So they would have had 110 years where they were contemporary, Enoch to Adam. Adam could have told the stories of the garden of creation, of naming the animals firsthand to, to Enoch. And then Enoch has a son who lives to be 965 years old, who dies the very year that, that, that brings the flood. And his very name is a prophecy. And when you put these names together in the genealogy from Adam to David, and, and you, you write out the, the meaning of each of these Hebrew names, it's a complete paragraph of prophecy put together. And Methuselah nestled right in the middle. His name means that when he dies, it will come. And what happened the year that he died, the flood of Noah came. And so Enoch is this guy who has this intimacy with God again. Now, um, some people kind of have the idea, right, that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are two different gods or two different ideas that God has with his people because you see him relate to his people in the Old Testament through the law of Moses and through rituals and rites and, and, and sacrifices. And in the New Testament, we see him relate to his people differently through grace and through relationship and through um, intimacy of knowing Jesus. And we think that there's two different ways that God has related through history with his people. Now, there has been but what's consistent throughout all the Bible is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God wanted the same exact thing from Adam and Eve that he does from you and I. What is that? You're created for one reason. God created you for the same reason he created Adam and Eve. And for the last 6,000 years, he's desired the same thing from, from people. We're created for his pleasure. And his pleasure, which is so awesome, his pleasure is intimacy with you. His pleasure is fellowship with you. You know what God desired? And, and when he got his wish, he walked with, with this guy Enoch in the cool of the day. He talked to him as a man talks to a man. And they just fellowship. They were friends. You know, I heard somebody talk about this concept one time. And this is a total rabbit trail, so bear with me for a second. But he, he said, in, in this idea of friendship, do you ever talk to God and, and ask him how he's doing? Now, I know he's always doing great, I'm sure. But the concept is really cool to think of God in that way where, where you have this kind of friendship with God. And this is what God desires. Hey, Lord, you know, and, and ask him questions about himself and talk to him as a friend, talk to a friend. And not always just wanting and, and, and needing and desiring this real friendship, intimacy with God. And so Enoch figured it out. It was like they were walking in the garden like they did night after night, day after day. They were hanging out. Who knows? Maybe they played cards or maybe they, I don't know, played soccer together or something or threw the baseball around. They, were, they had fellowship and intimacy. And one night it was late and maybe the Lord said to Enoch, well, we're a lot closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come home with me tonight? And it says that Enoch was taken three times in verse 5. So we have two people in all that never tasted physical death. The Bible says it's, it's accounted to a man to die once and then the judgment. That's all of us, 100% of humans. Still the same. Ten out of ten people die. But for whatever reason, there's been two people in human history that have never tasted physical death. Enoch is one and... Elijah is the other one. Elijah went up to God in a fiery chariot. 
and, and Elijah will come down and he'll be one of the witnesses of the book of Revelation and will taste physical death. But Enoch, he, he never tasted physical death. There will be another generation, possibly millions and billion, maybe, people, yet future that will not taste physical death in human history. Who, are, who is the next generation of people that will not face physical death? The generation that is here when Jesus comes back for his bride. The generation that is here in the rapture of the church when Jesus comes again. They will not face physical death. Now, Enoch, listen, becomes a biblical picture of that. It sets a precedence way back in the early pages of Genesis, taking people to heaven while still in the flesh. Now, now the, 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 the flood of Noah that's coming it is a picture of the seven-year tribulation period. And, and Noah and his family through the seven-year tribulation period. And they face the calamities and God preserves them. And the Jew today and, and some people will go through the great tribulation and God will preserve them through it. God says he's going to raise up 144,000 virgin male evangelists in the seven-year tribulation period. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel by name. And so he, they're going to go through the faction that goes through and there's a faction that goes out before. It's this model with the life. Because Enoch was taken out of the way, and then the rest go through the rapture. Amen? But again, Enoch is, is a picture of relationship. And, and so I don't want you to miss the idea that um, we, we want, we desire is what Enoch had. Amen? How would you like to just be so close to God that you're just hanging out, you're spending time with Him, you're, and, you, and you're just so in, in, invested in, in loving and, and talking to God and you got your eyes closed and you you know and you open your eyes and everything's different. You're in heaven. He just decides just to take you home. <laughs> so then um, last thing it says God had taken him before he was in verse five and he had pleased God. I think this was pretty cool. Do you know the Bible only says of two people? This is a tough one. I don't expect anyone really to get this. I didn't know it before yesterday. The Bible only says about two people in the Bible. Does the Bible have testimony that they please God? Enoch here is one of them. Somebody take a wild guess. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's always the right answer in church. You don't know the answer, right? Jesus. Just shout Jesus if you're not sure. You'll be probably right on. Yeah. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. So only, only of Jesus and Enoch does the father say that he was well pleased or that he was pleased. And then it says, but without faith. Look at your other neighbor and say, don't even try that. To please him for come to God. Believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The key word there is diligently. Okay, everybody say diligently. So listen, God is never, you cannot prove God scientifically. You cannot prove God intellectually. Some people may not like the statement that I'm, that I'm speaking against science or intellect. I'm not at all. It's just the bottom line. You know, Matt, you guys went to this debate with an atheist versus Christians down to you the other day. And they, they, these debates happen all the time. And never one time in one of these debates... Could somebody prove intellectually, scientifically the existence or, or, or anything about God? Yes, all the evidence is there. And, and, and once we 
believe, we know, I know there's a God. I, 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 there's no, no doubt in my mind, in my heart, that Jesus is alive, that he's real, that he's, he's a part of my life, he's in my heart. I'm not doubting that for a minute, but to prove that to somebody who's a skeptic with intellect or with science, listen, it's impossible. You know how many times I've argued somebody into the kingdom of God? Zero. You can't, you can't argue with folks. The Bible, Jesus even said to some point, he said, when you perceive that it's just arguing, stop. Withdraw yourself from such. Jesus said, have nothing to do with such people. Jesus said, you're casting pearls before swine when you do that. A pearl is a valuable object that you wouldn't give to a pig. And, and that pearl is the word of God. That pearl is what you're trying to share with somebody who has no desire to receive it. Casting your pearls before swine. Because you, it just doesn't work. But you know what does work? You know, I've been pretty passionate about, um, about abortion and about being involved in, in, in praying and, and, and helping and serving and adopting to prevent and be, be some part of whatever part God's called, whatever little part I can do to help with this epidemic, this evil in our nation, our world of abortion. You know how many times I've been able to talk to somebody who, who's, who's pro-choice to becoming to my side of the fence? How many times I've been able to convince them? Zero. But do you know how many people I've seen that are pro-choice become pro-life? Tons. How does it happen? Because I, I argued them. I scientifically showed them that a baby at eight weeks has DNA and specific characters that are unique only to that baby. I've seen them come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus and they come to faith in Jesus, then God begins to work in their heart. And then they begin to see things a little differently from the eyes of God. They begin to put their faith in Jesus and things begin to intellectually come true to them and and are revealed to them that previously were withheld. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God's not going to make and and put his his, um, truth in a tidy little box to unwrap so that you intellectually can then believe once you intellectually understand it doesn't work that way care how smart you are how intellectual you are i can tell you this you're not going to outsmart god what you're going to do is outsmart yourself to hell because that's where you'll end up apart from the grace and the mercy of jesus christ and so in in that you again it, it takes faith and then but here's here's what the beauty of faith is if you decide to first surrender and give your heart and life to Jesus in faith and, and become a Christ follower, do you know what, what then follows, the Bible says? What's happened, what I've experienced in my life, signs and wonders and the intellect. So all those intellectual struggles that I had, Holy Spirit begins to speak to me. Holy Spirit begins to deliver those to me. He begins to understand and get the intellectual answers that I wanted previously. But it was a matter of faith. But once I put my faith in God, then he opened the Pandora's box to, to, to fill those, those voids in. But it wasn't going to happen the other way around. You guys following that? Okay, i got to keep going. Verse number 7 says, By faith, I oh, can't f- finish 6 without this. Okay, diligently. How, how does God want you, require you to seek Him? Here's my statement, okay? We've been going for a minute now, so you're probably, you're, you, know, you're, you know your mind can't absorb what your behind can't can't. Ab- can't maintain, right? Or your mind can't maintain what your behind can't absorb. No, nobody. Once your mind gets sore, your mind shuts off. That's what I'm saying. So, um, 
who diligently seek him. One of the statements I try to make for shock value, but it's true too. God is not interested in the casual seeker. You cannot casually seek God. It doesn't work. It's for your own benefit. And sometimes we, we want to have one foot in church and one foot in the world. And we want enough of God that we don't, because we, we maybe grew up with some faith. Or, or maybe in our mind somewhere we do realize that there's a heaven and a hell. And we don't, we're afraid that we don't want to go to hell. Now, fear doesn't motivate you. Fear doesn't work in anybody's life. That's why we never preach fear. It's the love of Jesus that changes lives. But maybe you have enough um, understanding and belief in a heaven and a hell that, that you, you, you want enough of God so you don't have to go to hell. But you don't want enough of God that he's going to you know, make you do something you don't want to do. He's going to make you start speaking in tongues or go to India and become a missionary. Like He doesn't do that, by the way. But you know that, that you don't. And so you keep this one foot in the world. Maybe you like to drink. You know, unfortunately, and I'm not judging anybody for having a drink. But what I am saying very honestly and unequivocally is I see lots of Christians who love Jesus but, but make a complete surrender and let God fully use their lives because the drink is getting in the way. And the casual drink becomes a stumbling stock block. Then it can become sin in your life. And it is a stopper. And unfortunately, it's prevalent. It's prevalent that that little tiny thing keeps us from making full surrender of our heart and life to Jesus and really becoming sold out to what God wants to do in our lives and wanting all that God has for us. But God is not interested in a casual believer or casual seeker. What the Bible says, God wants you to diligently seek him. And again, remember the example I talked about with Cain and Abel and how Cain came on his own circumstances? Because maybe Cain, Cain came as a casual seeker. Maybe Cain came like, eh, yeah, what's up? You know, Jesus said, if you knock, he's knocking at the door. And he says, if you open up, I will come in and I will dine with you. You know, that's, that's tri-tip dinner, mashed potatoes and gravy and everything that goes with it. Asparagus and watermelon and feasting table. And some people say, okay, Jesus is knocking on the door and they open the door and they say, hey, Jesus, um, forget the whole feast thing. Let's, let's just have a cup of coffee. Let's just sit down and, and be more casual. I, I don't really want the whole kit and caboodle, but you're invited in, but just, just for some coffee. Let's have some tea with our pinkies up. And, and, and again, listen, if you want victory in your life, the key is to diligently seek God. Are you diligently seeking Him? You know, I love, I love it. I think as a pastor, one of the, one of the, the, the calls that God has given us as, as pastors and leaders is to do counseling in the church, is to love people and talk to people through issues and problems. But what, the part about counseling I don't like is I don't want to be anybody's Holy Spirit. If you're not first willingly to diligently seek God for, for the, the, the Holy Spirit to speak life into your situation, how am I going to speak life into your situation? Love to talk to you, counsel with you, love on you. One of the things God really gave Lydia and I kind of a niche for over the years is, is marriage ministry and crisis counseling. And God has given us the ability to see some lives change through it. So we love to do it. Don't get me wrong. But first you have to diligently seek God. Don't come to me until you first diligently sought the Lord. You know what's going to happen? My, my counseling load is going to go way down. Because as you diligently seek the Lord, guess what's going to happen in your life? He's going to be found. You're going to find victory. You're going to find what it is that, that God wants to do in your life. And you'll find out you don't need me. Sucker, say, Pastor, I don't need you, fool. <laughs> I got Jesus. 
And that's my message. You don't need me. You don't need me. You don't need anybody else. You don't need a bishop. You don't need a priest. You need Jesus. And you need to diligently seek him. One more time back there. Who gave me a big amen? I hear one of those. I can move on. You guys want to just keep me moving and get us out of here. Amen. Okay, amen. Amen. Keep going. All right. Hey, are we gonna, we're not going to get to Abraham today, but let's, let's see if we can unpack Noah in the next like two minutes and we'll be out of here. Verse number seven. By faith, somebody say by faith, faith. Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Noah had fear. We just talked about having fear of hell. There is a godly fear that is right. Now, now again, you have to understand that there is a a distinct line between um, day the 13th and the kind of fear that that puts in you or what a godly fear is. Now, first of all, God is pretty awesome. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. He turns people into salt if he wants to. He, he, he makes people kings and gives them kingdoms. There's a reason you fear a guy like that. There's a reason why you fear God. It's healthy. It's reasonable. But the fear, the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. You're not going to learn anything unless you have a healthy fear of God. But listen, it's not, it's not, God doesn't want you to be afraid like a, like a husband who, who beats his wife or abuses her. She comes home and she's afraid of what he's going to do to her. Not the type of fear the Bible describes. The Bible talks about, you know, you know, like I can remember being a kid and I had to be home before the street lights came on and I'm down the street and we're playing tackle football and, and we're having so much fun and it's like an hour and a half after dark and I'm dirty and beat up and sweaty and. I'm an hour and a half late, and I'm five houses down from where I live, playing football in my friend's front yard. Now, now I'm making that walk towards the house an hour and a half late, miss dinner. As I get closer and closer to the house, I start to get a little fear. What, you know, it's healthy fear, right? What's dad going to do? What's he going to say? He's not going to kick me out of the house, cut me, you know, he maybe discipline me, spank me, do. But there's a, there's a healthy fear Though I know dad loves me, and I know, I know he's going he's gonna to have some words for me, and I miss curfew, and I'm in trouble. And, and, and as we relate with God, yes, there's some healthy fear. And Noah, says, was divinely moved with a little bit of real healthy fear that helped motivate him. Now, again, um, we, we don't, and I don't personally believe in using fear as a tactic to try to get people to do what God wants them to do. Cause it's just because simply it doesn't work. You know, I could give you, I could try to scare you into believing, into doing something different in your life. And you know how long fear, fear works as a motivator in people's lives? From about the time you get out of your chair till you push the unlock button on your key fob in the parking lot. And you're thinking about no longer are you afraid of what we said. You're, now you're thinking about what's for lunch. It's not a motivator. It's not a biblical motivator. It's a truth, but it's not a biblical motivator. The Bible says it's the love of Jesus that motivates folks. So what I'd much rather do is spend time telling you how much Jesus loves you. How much he cares for you and died for you because that's a, that's a real motivator in your life. But again, we are called to a healthy fear. Now, what's crazy about the story of Noah, look at, look at the first part of verse 7. Noah being divinely, what does divinely mean? Spiritually, heavenly, by God, divine is something that God does. God warned him of things not, see, not yet seen. What were the things that God warned him of that had yet never been seen? Flood was coming, for one. Another thing that had never been seen on planet Earth, scientists believe, was rain. 
under that, under the, the, the Garden of Eden and the way that God created the earth, there was a firmament, the Bible says. Because one of the when the flood happened is the firmament came down and the waters of the deep came up to create the flood. What was the firmament? It was a greenhouse effect that was on planet earth until the time of the flood. And, and it created a greenhouse. The crops would have grown. The, that's why people, part of the reason why people could live, Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. Because of this greenhouse effect that was on planet Earth until the flood. They had never seen rain before. Lived in a perfect environment. Noah didn't live anywhere near water. He builds this boat that's 175 feet long. That's a long boat. 500 train cars worth of storage in this thing. And he's got nobody helping him. Maybe he's got Methuselah. But Methuselah's like, what, 900 years old? He's like 887 years old. He's climbing up the scaffolding with the, with the stuff trying to help Noah build the boat. He's like, hey, you know, don't die because in the year you die, it'll come. Get off that scaffolding, man. Come down here. And maybe and eventually he has, he has a couple daughters that, that get married, so he's got some son-in-laws that are helping him. But Noah is an incredible example of faith. Had never seen rain, didn't live anywhere near water, and God shows up and says, Noah, build a boat. Now, here's what's incredible about Noah's faith. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness is that hellfire and brimstone. He's not messing around. He's not trying to entertain you. He's not trying to be cool and tell jokes. You come to his church, and he's telling you what's going to happen, that Jesus is coming. There's, there's, there's flood coming. God is coming prepared you know the same message that noah preached we're preaching the same message today jesus is coming back get ready noah preached it for 120 years and guess how many people joined his church and converted zero can you imagine i don't think i'd make it here 120 seconds if nobody kept coming and for 120 years Week after week after week after week, Noah was preaching and not one convert in 120 years. And he remained faithful because he believed God by faith. And he continued to build the boat. But who was the fool? How do you think the scene played out the day it started raining for the first time on planet Earth? I'm pretty sure, you know, you know seven days before the rain, the Bible says that the hand of God closed the door on the ark. Noah and his... So it ended up just being Noah and his wife, his three daughters, his three son-in-laws. Eight people survived the flood of Noah. And, and, and seven days before everything started, God put everything, the last animal, all the provisions in the boat, and the hand of God closed the door. And they waited. That might have been an interesting seven days. Noah's like, God, we're sitting here, like, what's happening? And you know, he had to watch the animals come supernaturally. He saw the door close supernaturally. So he knew God was there, but I'm sure there was some doubt after sitting on the boat waiting. And on the day when the rain came, I guarantee you that as many as were close enough began to run and flock to the boat as the waters began to rise. And the carnage that would have taken place around the, around the ark from people that had ran and came to the ark to try to get in and the door was closed and there was nothing Noah could do. And then as the waters begin to rise and things begin to thrash and, 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 and all those who didn't believe, and then it was too late because God had closed the door. Seven days. Seven is the number of years that a great tribulation is going to happen. Another sign of, of the seven in the Bible. 
And the same warning that God gives us today that, that we're living in a day that Jesus is coming. And we need to be ready. Same message that Noah preached. And Noah, again, amazing, amazing man of faith. And that's how faith works in our lives. But it takes faith. Would have been very, 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 very easy after like 117 years for Noah to throw the towel in and say, forget it. And he remained faithful for 120 years. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Right, you guys want to come on, go on, come on up, close this song. Jay and Pat, you guys can get up front to pray for folks. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word that is so powerful. Lord, we thank you for the real life examples of men and women who stepped out in faith. And then, Lord, you called us. And, and Lord, not one of us has been called to build a boat nowhere near water when it never rained. Where we haven't been, but we've been called on a smaller scale to step out in faith. And so, Lord, help us in our areas, in our little ways, to step out in faith, to diligently seek you. Lord, to trust you with our whole hearts. Father, just to give you our lives. And, Lord, that you would increase our faith where we lack faith. And, Lord, that, that we would, Lord, hear your voice and have relationship with you as Enoch did. And, and, and have a testimony that, that, that we please you, Lord, because we have um, intimacy in walking with you and, and, and talking to you as a man talks to a man. So, Lord, we want to know you that way. And we thank you that you've invited us into relationship and covenant with you to be friendly, to hear your voice, to receive answers. And sometimes when that answer is no, we're okay because relationally we're close to you. And we know that you have our best interests at hand. And so, Father, we love you. And, Lord, I pray for anybody in here today that's going through anything, that, that Lord, maybe today was a challenge for them to step out in faith, to, to use faith, to believe that you're going to show up in their situation. Maybe it was a challenge for somebody in here today, God, who um, has been seeking you like Cain and, and, and needs to bring the offering like Abel did and bring it on your terms, that today, God, they would surrender their will to yours and just humbly come to you and boldly come to you. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.